Take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I'm going to bring a message this morning entitled, The Relationship of Giving and Thanksgiving. The Relationship of Giving and Thanksgiving. Now, you may be wondering why we are skipping over chapter 7. Now, don't worry, we'll come back to that, okay? But uh, thinking about Thanksgiving this week, uh, chapters 8 and 9 are filled with the theme of Thanksgiving. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here, too. If you were in my stewardship class last Sunday night, uh, we're going to cover probably easily 80% of what we did last Sunday night. So that crowd can sleep, I guess, okay? (laughs) But everybody else, I'm going to be looking, make sure those eyes are open. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. Paul said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work. But also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And now look over at chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise if some Macedonians came with me and find that you're not ready. We would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you. And arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Look down at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And then verse 15. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. And Father, we do want to thank you this morning for that inexpressible gift, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Without Him, we are nothing and can do nothing. And without Him, we would be lost and hopeless. 
Because the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. But you laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God we thank you for your kind benevolence toward us. And God I pray that that would change the way we live. That having such riches in Christ. That we would give of ourselves first to you and serve you out of gratitude. And that we would also be generous with those around us. Lord, indeed, on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. And it's all because of you. Help us to live accordingly. Help us to be generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, as part of the circus, they had an act where the strong man got up before the audience and he was doing amazing acts of strength. And as he did all these various acts of strength, the crowd was just absolutely amazed at what all he was able to do. And after each uh, thing that he would do, they they would respond with just tremendous applause. And then as he was closing his show for the evening... He got a large jumbo orange and he, and he told the crowd, he said, I'm going to make a deal uh, to you. I'm going to squeeze every bit of juice out of this orange that I can squeeze. And if there is even one of you that can come up here and get anything else out of it, then you will win a great prize this evening. And the strong man got that orange and he began squeezing everything out. He just turned it every direction, gripping it and crushing it. And finally, when there was no more juice to be had, he challenged the congregation, is there anybody who will come up here to see if they can get more orange juice out? Well, an elderly little frail man stood from the congregation and said, I'll take that challenge. Everybody kind of chuckled. They thought, sure, this is going to be good. And that little elderly frail man came up on the platform and he took that orange and he began squeezing and squeezing and finally drip, drip, drip. More juice came out. And everybody was in awe and the strong man was in awe. And he said, sir, in all of my years of doing this act, nobody has ever been able to get any additional juice out of the orange. What is your secret? How did you do this? And he said, oh, sir, it's easy. You see, I'm the treasurer at the local Baptist church. This morning I want to address the subject of giving and I want us to see how we can make a real difference in people's lives through our giving. Specifically, I want to connect the themes of giving and thanksgiving together. I want you to see how those themes are connected here. In fact, look again at those last two verses that we read a moment ago. Verse 12 of chapter 9, Paul says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And then in verse 15 he said, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Notice what he's saying, through your giving, many will have the occasion to give thanks to God as their needs are supplied. And he closes by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In other words, no one's giving outdoes God's giving. God has given His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Lord and Savior. He is the indescribable gift. 
And God's gift of his son is to be the basis or the foundation of all of our giving. Now folks, I realize that when you bring up the subject of giving, a lot of people get nervous. There are some people who say, you know, that's all the church ever talks about. But actually, that's not true. If memory serves me correctly, as I've looked back and tried to determine the number of times that I've addressed giving to this congregation on a Sunday morning in almost 16 years, to the best of my knowledge, this is only the third time I've ever addressed it. Only the third time. I'm grateful that I've not had to because this has been such a giving and generous congregation. And I commend you for that. But folks, understand, even if I did have to talk about it more than I do, that would be okay as well because you see, in the Bible, there are more than 500 verses on prayer. There's somewhat less than 500 verses on the subject of faith, but there's almost 2,400 verses on the subject of giving. Jesus talked more about giving than he did about any other subject. In fact, did you realize that 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables have to do with giving? That's just over 42%. Over 42% of his parables have to do with this issue of money and stewardship. Jesus connected our giving... And our attitude to our resources with our heart. He said on one occasion, uh, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. The great reformer Martin Luther said that every man is in need of at least three conversions. The conversion of the soul, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of our pocketbook. Now as we look at our text, we need to understand a little background as to what's going on here. One of the major ministries of Paul's third missionary journey was the taking up of a special relief offering for the poor Christians in Judea. Now, they had experienced a famine in Israel. In fact, this famine that was going to spread all over the world and Israel was going to be particularly hard hit by it, this famine is mentioned in Acts chapter 11 and verse 28. But this famine had occurred. And the, and the Christians there at Jerusalem, the, the other Jews who had become believers, they were suffering. They were also suffering because once they became Christians, their families would ostracize them and the community would not buy or sell uh, regarding them. Uh, So many of them would lose their sources of income. They would even lose their jobs simply because they had become Christians. And so they were going through a lot uh, there in Jerusalem. And what Paul wanted to do was motivate the churches in the Gentile world to be generous to the Jewish believers. Now, there were two reasons he wanted to do this. First of all, the obvious reason, just because there was a need that that needed to be met. He wanted to see the Jewish Christians uh, relieved from some of their poverty. But the major motivation perhaps was Paul wanted to see this wall torn down between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. He had written about this in the book of Romans. That that Gentile believers we owe the Jewish people so much. I mean, because to them, you think about it, belongs the law and the prophets and the patriarchs. And finally, as he tells the Romans, there's the Lord Jesus, who as far as his humanity, he was born of a Jewish bloodline. 
And so we as Gentiles owe the Jews so much. And so Paul felt it necessary for Gentiles to give to the Jewish poor believers to finish tearing down some of this wall of hostility that that existed between the two. For instance, in Romans 15, he says, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And so by the Gentiles giving, it would create a stronger bond between the two groups. Now folks, in this text, we see that we are to give to help others' needs. And as we do so, everybody is able to give thanks to God. We thank God, first of all, for the gift of His Son. Those in need thank God for supplying their needs. They also thank God for the compassion of brothers and sisters who help to meet their needs. And we thank God for supplying our needs while we give to others. And so through giving, everybody can give thanks to God. And so we see here in this text the strong connection between these two things. Well, first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is giving should be in spite of our circumstances. Go back to chapter 8, pick up in verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now in the previous year, the Corinthians, when Paul first started talking about this benevolent gift, a year had passed. And in the previous year, the Corinthians had said yes to giving to their brothers and sisters. In fact, not only had they talked about giving, but they wanted to set the example for all the other churches. They wanted to to not only give, but they wanted to give generously. Well, Paul then went to the churches of Macedonia. Now, the churches of Macedonia would have been churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and, and the Bereans. That was the Macedonian churches and they were financially poor churches themselves. Now why were they so poor? They were so poor because Macedonia was a war-torn area. I mean just like today in recent decades this part of the world has been in the news. The former Yugoslavia and Bosnia and and Kosovo, that same area of the world, that's, that's ancient Macedonia. I mean, even today, they continue in great need. And as Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, the Romans were bearing down on that area, uh, oppressing them with things like taxation and so forth in a specially harsh way. And as Paul visited those Macedonian churches, he was able to tell them about the pledge of the Corinthians. And the pledge of the Corinthians to lead out in generosity had motivated the Macedonian churches to do the same. Now they couldn't afford it like the Corinthian church could. But they wanted to be a part of it. Well in the meantime what had happened? The Macedonian churches had completed their giving. But the Corinthian church had gotten caught up in all these internal conflicts. And getting caught up in all this turmoil. They had still not brought this gift to its completion. They talked about it. But they hadn't done it as of yet. And so Paul is saying to them here. It is time that you make good on your promise. He's saying, just think with me about what I did. 
You gave me this pledge that you were going to set the example for all the other churches. I went to the churches of Macedonia. I gave you as an example. Boy, they got fired up. They gave their giving. And now they want to come back with me as we take the gift to Jerusalem. They want to go with me and they want to come and see you. They've heard so much about you and your generosity. If we get to you and you've not finished this work, then you're going to be embarrassed and I'm going to be embarrassed and so you need to finish this Paul wasn't forcing them but he was appealing to them in the midst of all of their need God had been at work and they needed to reflect this in their giving now verse 1 speaks of God's grace being poured out on the Macedonians Now, folks, that's to be the basis in whatever we do for the Lord, right? God's grace. What's God's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. The Macedonians did what they did because they had been recipients of God's grace. They were so grateful at how God would save lost sinners and how God saved them that they wanted to be a part of God's work. Folks, whatever we do for the Lord, that ought to be the motivation of what we do. Just the mere fact that we have been recipients of God's grace ought to be motivation enough. Because where would we be today if in our time of need God had not stepped in? Well, verse 2 says their outer circumstances were great trials. And yet their trials had not stolen their gratitude to God. They had seen the hand of God wrapped around them and guiding them through their trials. And they were able to understand the need of the Jewish saints there in Jerusalem. And so they wanted to be involved and they wanted to to be an instrument in God's hands to help. Now we've seen this principle already in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul said, We serve a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. He went on to say, and then through God's comfort that he's given to us, we're able to turn around and extend that same comfort to others. In other words, we're to be a channel of blessings. If we've received God's grace, if we've received God's peace and comfort, we're to turn right around and help others who are in need. And so they're expressing something very biblical here. You know, there's an application in this for us, uh, isn't there? Some folks say, you know what? I'll give to God when it's more convenient or when I can afford to. But the churches of Macedonia looked at their meager resources and you know what they saw? They saw God's grace and they gave. It wasn't convenient for them. They couldn't afford it, but they gave anyway. Reminds me of what Mr. Pearson told a crowd on one occasion. He was the president at Miami Bible College a number of years ago. And everybody in the crowd that day was complaining about it was nearing Christmas time and and everybody was asking for something. Everybody wanted money for something. And Mr. Pearson heard these men complaining about it. And he said, listen guys, I want to tell you something about this. My wife and I didn't have any children and we began asking God that God would give us a child. And he did. He blessed us with a son. And as that little boy grew into a toddler and then grade school age, I started complaining to my wife. I mean, we're all the time having to spend some kind of money on this little boy. He needs shoes all the time. He needs clothes all the time. I mean, it's like we've just bought him things and he's growing so fast he grows out of everything. He's going to be the death of me financially. He said, then guys, something happened. My little boy died. He doesn't cost me one dime anymore. But I'd give every penny in my bank account to have him back. Folks, our circumstances may not always 
be the best or may not always be suitable. If we're looking for the best opportunity or the best time or the most convenient time or when we can afford it the most, guess what? It'll probably never happen. And so Paul's saying here, instead of complaining, instead of making excuses, just get busy and do it. Give as the Macedonians have done, regardless of what your circumstances may be. It's a privilege to give. Well, secondly, he says, giving should be according to one's ability and sacrificially at the same time. Look at verse 3. He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, now keep in mind, uh, folks, that what Paul is addressing here is that type of giving that we do above and beyond. A lot of people as they read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, they they get all jumbled up in their minds and, and confused with tithing. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 has nothing to do with tithing. Okay? Has nothing to do with tithing. It's talking about those special offerings. Now, because so many people get confused about this, I want to cover tithing a minute. Let me chase a rabbit, and then we'll come back around to what Paul is talking about here. We see the principle of tithing in the Word of God, and that it is a timeless principle. It was neither established by the law nor terminated by grace. The New Testament assumes that all obedient Christians are going to give one-seventh of their time to the Lord and one-tenth of their resources to the Lord. Tithing's 400 years older than the law. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And then, 400 years later, it was endorsed by the law. And instructions were given on it. And then it was finally affirmed by Jesus. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus said, You guys miss it. You're tithing. But you're forgetting the more important things of the law like love and justice and mercy. You should have put a premium on those things without neglecting the other. You see that would have been a good time for Jesus to clear up this issue of tithing. If it wasn't supposed to be New Testament. He should have said, you guys should have done those weightier matters of the law and and stop worrying about this other, this tithing business altogether. That was Old Testament. Would have been a perfect chance for him to clear it up. But he said, you should have done this without neglecting this. God's Word teaches us the failure to tithe is the same as thievery. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And God insists that there will be no blessing until there is repentance in this matter. Malachi 3.9, He says, You're cursed with the curse for you've robbed me. In the book of Haggai, you know what happened in Haggai? The people had come back from exile. They'd been in Babylon for 70 years. When they came back, they were to rebuild the city and the city walls and the temple. What had they done? They had been busy rebuilding their homes and their businesses and they'd neglected the temple. And God said to the people through Haggai, Do you never stop and consider what's going on? You bring your purse home and it's full. It's full, but then you get home, you open it up, and it's like, where'd all my resources go? What happened? What happened to my wealth? What happened to my resources? God said, it's because I've blown them away. Because you've looked after your business while neglecting my business. And Haggai challenged the people to get busy and finish with God's business. And God said, prove me, test me, try me. 
I'm not aware that anywhere else in the Bible we're told to test God. In fact, the Bible says we're not to test God. But when it comes to this matter about giving, what God say? Test me, prove me in this. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not even be room enough to receive it. I heard about a church out in Oklahoma. The pastor said, I'll make a pledge to you. Tithe for one year. At the end of that year, if you are not better off, now it's dangerous to say we'll be better off financially. God has a number of ways he blesses us. But this pastor said, if you're not better off at the end of this year that you've tithed, this church will reimburse every dime you've given us. And I'll make you that same pledge this morning. You make a commitment this following year to tithe of your income. If you're not better off at the end of the year, that same church out in Oklahoma will reimburse every bit that you've given. Matthew 3.12, God says, All nations will call you blessed and you'll be a delightful land when you address this matter. Folks, you hear what God's saying? God's saying, folks, if God's people could get a heart and a vision for giving, it's like God is saying, just stand back and think about what all could be accomplished. Missiologists tell us that with all the resources in the Western church, In the 20th and 21st century, if we were faithful in our giving, we could completely fund the Great Commission going to the ends of the earth in one generation. One generation. Think of the blessing that could be experienced. But what were they doing in Malachi's day? Just giving God the leftovers. And Malachi says, try giving that to your governor. Do you think he would receive it? And finally in verse 10 of Malachi 3, God basically says, don't give me anything if you're just going to give me the leftovers. We look after ourselves, we look after our kids, we look after our business, and we tend to give God. If there's something left over, we'll give it to God. And God says, if that's your attitude, he told him in Malachi 3, If somebody would just go to the the door of the temple and shut it and people not even come in to profane my sanctuary. That's how strongly God addresses this matter in the Old Testament. But again, that's tithing. Hopefully we all understand that the tithe is the Lord's as the scripture says. What 2 Corinthians is talking about is that above and beyond type giving. Mission type giving. Benevolent type giving. And God lays down some principles of that. Now I want you to notice these principles in the example of the Macedonians. Look at what he says about them in verse 3. For they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means. Now that's an interesting paradox, isn't it? It's like they sat down and they figured out what they could afford to give. And they looked at that and they said that's not enough. And they increased it and gave more. They gave according to their means and beyond their means. And then you'll notice in verse 4, Paul says they were begging us. Begging us to be a part of this offering for the relief of the poor. It's like Paul was saying, guys, now you there at Macedonia, you're going through a lot. You, you know, let other churches pick up the slack. It's like they were just begging him, no, 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 we want to be a part. Boy, wouldn't that be a new day in the church? If plates were passed and people rose up and said, preacher, we want to give more, pass the plate again. Maybe you want to start that trend this morning. It's it's like that was what the Macedonians were doing. And for what purpose did they give? They gave to help the other saints. 1 John 3.16 says... How can we say that we know God if we see our brothers in need and we don't have hearts of compassion toward them? How can we claim 
to know the God who is a God of giving and a God of compassion if there's no compassion in our hearts. The Macedonians wanted to give. And notice what he says in verse 5 about their giving. Folks, this is the real key. He says, they gave first of themselves to God. Now that's the key right there, isn't it? You get a man or a woman to understand that what God wants first is their heart. And they address that issue of giving their heart to the Lord. Everything else just comes automatically almost, doesn't it? He says of the Macedonians, they gave of themselves first to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 6 to talk about he's going to commission Titus to bring closure to this matter. And so he, essentially he's putting the Corinthians on notice to expect Titus so they'll, they'll not be caught off guard. And in verse 7, Paul invites them to abound in giving. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I personally think Paul's being a little bit sarcastic there to him. I'll tell you why. Remember back in 1 Corinthians? What were they boasting about at Corinth? They were boasting about their wisdom and knowledge and how they abounded in wisdom and knowledge and all these spiritual gifts that they were saying that they had. They they were bragging about what they had. They were bragging so much so they were one believer was causing division in the assembly with another believer. Just believer after believer was causing this division because everybody was bragging about what their gift was. So Paul's saying, you excel in all these gifts? Okay. Why don't you excel in this matter of giving? I think there's a little bit of sanctified sarcasm going on there. He's wanting them to be rich in their giving. God's blessed them in so many ways. And as we think about it, God's blessed us in so many ways. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And So what you know what you and I need to do? We need to give first of ourselves to the Lord. And then if we, if we would acknowledge that God has blessed us, God has blessed our families, God has blessed our church, God has blessed us around every corner so much then we need to excel in this matter of giving. Well, not only did they give of themselves but you'll notice here too that that we've got to get people to understand God's grace that He gave. Look at what He says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. What kind of God do we serve? We serve a benevolent God. Aren't you glad God gives? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a God who gives. If, think about that. If God didn't give the gift of his son, we would be eternally lost. And then think about Jesus giving. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about Christ pre-incarnate state. Before he came to this earth, born as a babe in a manger there in Bethlehem. Think about Jesus before his pre-incarnate state. He was the adoration of all of heaven. All the angels adored him. And he left the ivory palaces of heaven, as the song says, to come to a sin-sick world. Why did he do that? He did it for you and for me. He gave up his heavenly wealth, became poor. Folks, think about this. Had he been born into royalty, it would have still been a huge step downward to even leave heaven and be born into royalty. He took a a bigger step downward. He was born, he stepped down into poverty. Mary and Joseph, poor peasants. The Bible says in, in Philippians 2 that... Have this mind in yourselves which Christ also had. 
He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of men. And he surrendered his life to death. Not a normal death either, but death on a cross. Jesus gave up everything that you and I might have eternal life. Aren't you glad he did that? Because he was rich, he became poor, we're poor. We're poor in the sense that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's not salvation in any of us that we could have done. But he left his riches, became poor, so that we who are poor, spiritually poor, might be rich. Boy, aren't you glad that that's God's heartbeat? And so looking at Jesus' example that we serve a giving God, then that needs to motivate us to give not only according to our means, but even beyond our means. Now, third thing I want you to notice with me from chapter 9 is that giving should be thoughtful and planned. Giving should be thoughtful and planned. In these verses, Paul is talking about how he's going to send Titus ahead of time. And, and Titus is going to make all these arrangements with the Corinthians. Get everything in order so that when Paul comes with the Macedonians, everything might be in order. And Paul's expressing confidence that it will be. He wants them to be thoughtful and planned in this matter. And if you go back to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, you see that he talks more there about being thoughtful and planned in our giving. And, and, and verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so Paul is saying, Give Give some thought. Give some planning to your, to your giving. When it comes to our giving, we ought to be that way. We set aside the tithe. Then, then we set aside, hopefully, you're setting aside some savings for those emergencies that might come up in your family. Then you set aside some extra so that when we get into times of the year like this at Christmas that we're promoting something like a, a Lottie Moon offering, you will have been setting something aside. And so when you give it, it's not any big deal because you've been setting a little aside in little bite-sized chunks all year long. And you've been living without that. And so when you give to something above and beyond... You don't even miss it. Oh, but at the end of chapter 5, he mentions a danger in that. There is a danger. The last word of verse 5. I know that ESV says exaction. The literal word in the Greek is greed. You set a little something aside, set a little something aside, a little, set a little something aside. It grows, it grows, it grows. Finally, when you notice what's in there, hmm. Ooh, I sure would like a new truck. You know? Hmm, that'd be a nice down payment. You got to be careful of that, right? He's just simply saying be thoughtful. Be planned in your giving. And follow through. And the last thing I want you to notice is giving has its rewards. Look at verses 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God rewards in proportion to one's giving. Folks, there are certain laws to the harvest. The first law of the harvest that we see here, we see also in Galatians 6, is that you reap what you sow. Let's think about a farmer a minute. A farmer that wants to get a big old crop, a big old yield of corn. So he's wanting all this corn and so he goes out in his fields and he sows green beans. Is he going to get corn? No. He's not going to get corn. He sowed green beans. 
You reap what you sow. And then Paul goes on here to to point out the second law of the harvest. You reap more than you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. And you reap later than you sow. The harvest doesn't come in overnight. That's what Paul's saying. He's encouraging the Corinthians to be generous. Now, now folks, you've been generous, but let's think about Christians all over America. One financial expert, Ron Blue, maybe you've read some of Ron Blue's writing. He and others have looked at giving in the evangelical church. You know what they found? The evangelical church today is giving less percentage-wise than Christians did back during the years of the Great Depression. Now that's sad, isn't it? Back during the Great Depression, what was unemployment? 25-30%? No work to be found? Nobody had anything. Christians in the Great Depression gave more percentage-wise to the work of the Lord than we do today. They've looked, unbelievers give approximately 1.5% to charity each year. Christians give, all Christian giving combined, Christians give about 2.5%. That's sad. That's very, very sad. I like what the famous preacher Peter Marshall said on one occasion when he offered people a sobering reminder. He said, give according to your income lest God makes your income according to your giving. And you know what, folks? We shouldn't have to beg people. Look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, don't, don't try to make people feel guilty if, if you're talking about some kind of offering in your class, Sunday school class or church, and somebody doesn't get Don't make somebody feel guilty. He says about these over and beyond type gifts, everybody just gives. Give as you're able. Not under compulsion. Mark Twain said one time, uh, a preacher was putting such a guilt trip on people. He said, I I finally put my wallet up and decided I wasn't going to give. And he said, he kept on, he kept on, he kept on. Then I decided, you know what, when the plate comes around, not only am I not going to give, I'm going to take something out. (laughs) Don't be like that. But Paul is saying, we don't need to put guilt trips on people. Just get people to understand what he's talking about here in verse 6. You want to reap sparingly? Just sow sparingly. You want to reap bountifully? Got to sow bountifully. Just point out the biblical principles and let it go at that. And then he reminds them what God is looking for. However you sow, what is God after? God is after cheerful givers. It's the word from which we get our word, hilarious. Hilarious. He wants cheerful givers. And so we see throughout these two chapters how these two themes of giving and thanksgiving are so bound together. And through one person's giving, through one person's giving how others are blessed, And they give thanks to God. And then they give. And then everybody praises God. In closing, it makes me think about a true story that happened in the Pacific Northwest. A gentleman took a new job teaching in the Pacific Northwest. When he and his wife and his kids relocated to that area, it wasn't long before they found out that their son Matthew needed a bone marrow transplant, and without the bone marrow transplant, Matthew would die. Well, they got to checking into the insurance and the school system there, and the insurance wouldn't pay because he had not been a teacher there yet for a year, and so they wouldn't pay. 
He had to raise $200,000 in a very short amount of time because they had a narrow window to get Matthew treated. One day in class, a severely crippled boy by the name of Damien came up to the teacher after class. He emptied his pockets. He said, here teacher, this is for Matthew. This is all of my savings. It was $12. Well, the other students and teachers got wind of that, of Damien's generosity, and they started giving. Then then the media got a hold of what Damien did. And everybody started, donations started pouring in. Pretty soon the 200000 was met. Matthew got the bone marrow transplant just in time. And today he's well. But shortly thereafter, Damien died. You see, Damien got a serious infection in his crippled legs and the doctors could not beat it back and that infection took his life. But in the process, Damien had become dear friends with Matthew and Matthew's family, all of whom were Christians, they had shared the gospel with Damien and Damien had given his heart and life to the Lord Jesus. Matthew continues to tell Damien's story of generosity. But how in that process, Damien learned of the love of God in Jesus and now has eternal life. The giving of others causes thanksgiving to abound. What kind of giver are you? A thankful giver? Would you stand please? I may be speaking to somebody this morning that needs to receive the greatest gift of all. The indescribable gift that Paul talks about here again is Jesus Christ. And in a crowd this size, it is very likely that not just one but several probably have never received the indescribable gift. You're lost. You don't know Christ. God has given that gift. Wouldn't you like to receive Jesus Christ this morning into your heart and life? Come forward. We'd like to pray with you about that. If I'm tied up with somebody, don't let that discourage you. The two Kevins will be down here. They'll pray with you. But don't miss out on the greatest gift. If you know Christ, I want you to examine your own heart this morning when it comes to giving. Do you give generously according to your means and beyond your means? Are you a hilarious giver? That's how God wants us to be. Ask God to put that kind of spirit into your heart.